Injury prevention, prehab, we talk about it, we implement it, but are we really truly understanding the why and how behind the exercises that we're giving our athletes? Well, I have brought in with me two amazing professionals today in the field of physical therapy to talk about just that. This is a really important episode for coaches of all levels out there because I know that we all want to make sure that our athletes stay as healthy as possible as long as possible. So here is today's mini-sode all about prehab with Doctor of Physical Therapy, Shira Lewis, and physical therapist, Brandy Smith. All right, I am here today with Doctor of Physical Therapy specializing in gymnastics and also Precision's resident PT, Shira Lewis. Hi, Shira. Hi, how's it going? Good, welcome back. Thank you. And we are joined by another expert in the field. We have Brandy Smith, who is a physical therapist and performance coach. She's also the founder of Perfect 10 Physical Therapy and Perfect 10 PT Academy. And Brandy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. And Brandy, you and I just had a great discussion the other day. Could you let everybody know what that was and why we were doing it if they weren't a part of it already? Um, yeah, so we were doing a called Blueprint for Peak Performance, and we were doing some webinars, and we were talking about autonomy and artistry and finding your inner self and how to bring that out into performance and how coaching we can make choices to help with autonomy and bring that out in our athletes. And we were doing all of that because we were talking about the mind-body spirit alignment, that inner alignment, and we will be working together for the Invincible Athlete, which is coming up in January, which is a program that does all that. It's a multifaceted approach to helping athletes, coaches, and parents get on the same page and achieve success. And we're bringing in amazing people. For sure, there's one on here and maybe two. She's thinking about it. Who's <laughs> coming in. And so, you know, our goal is to light as many lights in the world and create amazing humans who can be game changers and leaders in this world. And so that's what the program is all about, both on the physical aspects from sports psychology, nutrition, artistry, biomechanics, the physical aspect of the mind, the body, and everything goes with that. So yeah, it's a whole compass. So that's why we were talking. We were getting ready for all that. <laughs> yes, yes, it is very exciting. And that's something that Sheer and I hold very close to our hearts is just this idea of, yes, we want to create the best gymnastics and help the gymnast be the best gymnast they can be. But it's not just about what happens in the gym. And we've got, you know, philosophical aspects of that. We've got management aspects of that. And we've got the maintenance side of it and the preventative injury side of it, which is what we're bringing to the table today. So I want to ask you guys, you know, I know when I was an athlete, I think the idea of injury prevention kind of came up towards the last few years of my career. Up until then, anything that we were doing as far as connecting to injuries was always rehab after the fact. And I remember that yes, the doctors would give you stuff, but you'd kind of like crumple that up and put it in your bag because your coach apparently doubled as a PT without any certification and just gave you all these exercises to do. And I'm not talking down on any of my past coaches. It's just the way that it was. So I want to ask you guys, you know, after, after so many things have changed over the last few decades and the idea of injury prevention is now part of the regular conversation. We know that there are coaches out there that want to provide that for their athletes. And I want to know from you guys, if they don't have a crystal ball to know 
what injuries their kids are going to get, then where should they be prioritizing their time as far as preventing injury? Yeah, I think that can go so many places. The first thing I really think about is just that we need to prepare the mind and the body for whatever stresses they're going to take in the sport and in life in general. So you can start so many different places. I like to think about first movement. And so making sure that we have mobility, we have the ability to move every single joint of our body into all these different ranges of motion that we're going to need to for gymnastics. And then to make sure that that's stable so that our body can be supported in all of those movements. And then we want to strengthen it because we are taking loads that are way higher than our body weight when we land from any kind of height. And so making sure that we're able to move through the positions, they're stable at each joint, and then they're strong. That's kind of like the very foundation I usually go to when I think about prehab. This is a great question. I totally agree with that entire concept. Like, you've got to start with the mind first and make sure that the alarm system is all set, right? Uh, Make sure that there's not a lion in the room. And if there is a lion, how can we turn it into a cub? So recognizing the alarm system, having conversations about that is like step one, because you can't have good movement or good strength or really thrive at anything if you've got a lion in the room. So the first aspect is kind of identifying that. And then I'm with Shira, she nailed it on the head as far as like, you've got to have mobility in all the, 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 all the places you have to have mobility and then stability. And then we're taking loads. I mean, a back handstand is five times your body weight, standing back five to 10 times your body weight, elite gymnast tumble 20 times your body weight. This idea of like, don't put weights on kids, like that's crazy. They're already loading this crazy amount, right? And so I think one of the aspects that is interesting and is kind of sometimes dicey for people is the concept of loading something heavy because they know they have to do something that's hard versus the concept of what's happening at the micro level at the joints. And so they'll allow, I did like a post recently about it, but they'll allow, because they're not really watching for it, compensations to happen. And sometimes our prehab can be a bigger problem than than not, (laughs) because you're actually feeding into movement patterns that are really already existing and you're just loading up a, a muscle balance. So I like to think of the body as like a circus tent. There's a line that pulls on a pole in the middle and there's lines in every direction. And if I have hundred pound billies everywhere, then life is good. My pole is happy. But if I have 800 pound bubba on one side, hundred pound billy on the other, my pole is going to lean to the 800 pound guy. If I load up something in that situation and I never correct the movement pattern, like their shoulders are way rolled forward or um, they don't get their hips uh, actually open. They're still really flexed and doing all of their core work from a flexed hip position. You're just doing, you're over, you're overcompensating more with Bubba, the hip flexors or the pec, then you're just feeding into that dynamic and you're actually going to create the, the circus tend to fall over more. So it's a matter of not just like, you have to go in that sequence exactly like Shira said, but you have to also pay attention to technique and form. I think people also get hung up on numbers and like, I'm not a numbers queen. I'm a form queen. And I'm like, you know, 10 to 20, 10 to 14, like what's our goal? Is it endurance or is it strength? Like whatever's happening. But it's like, it's actually not about that. It's about how much weight you can do with good technique and form. And I'm not just looking at like, are you sitting up straight and then throwing your arms around? I'm looking at like, is your, if we're working shoulders, like is the shoulder spinning in the socket or is there a weird funky pattern happening? Right. And so that's, I think that's one big key that gets missed is like, yes, we need to load them. Yes, they need to train, but they need to have that 
number one, they may be compensating because like Shira said, they didn't have the mobility in the first place and now you're loading them up. I'm going to yeah. speak from a layman's term here. And so I have zero, zero training in what you guys do. So I always defer, Shira knows, so I just defer, defer, defer. But I can also have enough humility to tell you where I screwed up in the past because I like thought I had the ability to do this. But when I was coaching, I had a group of kids who they just kept rolling their ankles. And I was like, okay. And one kid went to PT and the PT gave her a bunch of ankle exercises to do all different forms of heel raises really, but in different positions. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to make sure not only that she gets better, I'm going to make sure that these guys don't roll their ankles. And furthermore, I'm going to take the kids before them and make sure they never have ankle injuries. We're all doing it. And I had this master plan of just these thousands of different variations of ankle raises that they were going to do before every practice, before we even started, so that I could check that box and nobody was ever going to roll an ankle again. And fast forward four or five months later, everybody's knees and backs are hurting because I like you said, it overdid it. It took one thing and just tried to tackle it without realizing that the rest of the body is connected. So I'm glad you guys exist. Shira, would you like to jump on that at all? Yeah, I think it's it's nice to use the word prehab because it kind of sums everything up. But this idea of less is more and always understanding your why. So it's not that we have to do all the heel raises because the ankles have, but looking at each kid, you know, we have those athletes who's, they get down in a squat and their heels go all the way flat and that's super easy. Maybe they do need to get a little more in their stability and the strength. But what about those kids who squat down and their heels don't even come close to the floor? How are you treating them differently? And so this is kind of that first place that you can recognize the differences between different athletes and then take the time. And, and like Brandy said, there's no set number you know, give, I like using either time, you know, here's your time to work on your ankles and every kid might have something different. And then why, you know, are you working on that range of motion or the stability or the strength? And do they have other injuries that might be more important in this time? It's hard to fit everything in to every workout. And so what are you doing and when? By thinking about less is more and, and each individualized athlete's needs, in this prehab time, it just helps coaches, I think, come away from that set programming and be able to give each kid what they need separately. Do you guys think that the focus of prehab, if we had to really, really dumb it down, is stepping away from this major muscle group thing that we're always doing by doing the same kind of standard exercises and starting to focus on those smaller muscles, those muscles that are maybe underneath the larger muscles? Like, do you think that's the piece that a lot of coaches are missing? I think maybe uh, it, you could you say You can yes. tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, you, you could say yes. I think a lot of times what I tend to see is that, yeah, we're working on all those large muscles and we do all the V-ups and the leg lifts and the squats. And, and so you could think of prehab as, you know, those shoulder stabilizing like the band exercises or single leg balance type things, which are focusing more on those smaller muscles. Um, but I like to think of it also as making sure that the muscles are working in proper order for technical, good technical functioning. So it's not that it's only the small muscles or only the large muscles, but how they work in conjunction with each other. Yeah, I think I think for me, like um, those, I agree with all of that, but I 
would, was thinking about that came to me was just this concept that like back to the Billies and the Bubba's, it's kind of this idea of how are they moving? Like I tell everybody, it's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. So you can do amazing quote unquote air quotes prehab and do it wrong, like and cause more problems, right? Well, 2023 is coming to a close and it's a great time to look back on the year we've had and be thankful for our experiences. You know, I've gotten to work really closely with TumbleTrack this year, and I know if there's one thing that they're thankful for, it's the support they've received from the gymnastics community. That's you guys. They dedicate themselves to providing quality products and helpful education, but none of that would be possible without the support of the coaches, athletes, gym owners, and parents that truly make up the TumbleTrack family. So they are finishing off 2023 with another great live event on athlete nutrition featuring Carrie Bear on December 27th at 12.30 p.m. Register for the event on their website at tumbletrack.com forward slash events. Again, that's T-U-M-B-L-T-R-A-K dot com forward slash events and don't miss out on what i personally know from firsthand experience what will be an incredibly beneficial event featuring carrie bayer picture this a gymnast facing challenges fear struggling with getting upgrades trouble competing like they train lacking flexibility or strength or getting injured imagine overcoming them with the right training parents cheering them on and coaches shaping champions that's the essence of the perfect 10 experience and if you're an athlete parent or coach check out the perfect 10 pt academy online courses designed to fuel success in gymnastics and beyond to become change makers and great leaders. It's not just a program though, it's a blueprint for success in all areas of life. Dive into the world of Perfect 10 today. Elevate your gymnastics journey with Perfect 10 where every routine is a Perfect 10. Go to Perfect 10, that's the number 10, ptacademy.com to get started today. And just for my listeners, for limited time, get your free performance training today. Go to perfect10ptacademy.com and don't miss out because your dreams are just one click away. So you can do amazing, quote unquote, air quotes, prehab and do it wrong like and cause more problems, right? But I love working with coaches and athletes that they have a good eye for movement. And you mm-hmm. can see wonky. Wonky is wonky. Like, don't do wonky, like everything should be spinning and gliding and should be in some form of alignment, right? So I think really, you could say that it's prehab is like these smaller muscles or balancing out the opposing of these like global muscles we've been exercising. And it is in, in, in a part of a sense. But I think the other part of the sense is like Shira was saying with the sequencing is not just like not just sequencing, but the seeking sequencing them you might have to break a movement pattern the way the brain works. Sometimes you have to break a movement pattern into something that's small, like we do with skills. So like people call me the micro driller because I take like a skill that goes into a drill and I take the drill and I go into a mobility exercise and a stability exercise and a micro, like what's going on there. Why is it that you can't get to X, like what the end result is. And so I think like looking at um, their movement patterns and making sure that when they're doing it, they're, whatever they're doing, that it's not wonky, that it is more in alignment and sequenced and coordinated movement, which almost any coach can see. And then taking those little micro things that we might do, but the, the, the missing chunk, if you only do the micro stuff and you don't do anything functional between the micro and the drill for the skill, then you're missing a big link. Okay. You can trouble. you 
explain it to me like I'm five. What would be an example of taking the micro drill, the micro movement versus the whatever you just said, the major movement, the the functional, like the, the functional. The, the, there the we functional. go. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a skill and t- and talk to me about how what the difference between those two things are. Okay, so an example might be like someone trying to get a dakacha, right? And one of the biggest things that a lot of gymnasts have, period, that people that gets missed is they don't have a lot of thoracic extension. They have a ton of thoracic flexion, not a lot of thoracic extension. Everybody complains. Oh, That's a lot of hollow holds. Yeah, 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 that's another topic. You're <laughs> 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 laughing, but yeah, I could go on for that for a while. So I'm going to skip over that comment. <laughs> so that's the extension. So a lot of gymnasts lack thoracic extension. So their complaint might be like, I don't have, I can't get my dakotchup open. My shoulders aren't open on X, Y, Z. So we'll just use dakotchup, for example. And so there might be an exercise where I would put them against the wall. I have a couple different exercises to do for thoracic extension. And someone might say it's a shoulder flexibility issue. That's actually what the coach always says to me. It's a shoulder flexibility issue. And they put them in more bridges and they end up just hammering their low back in the bridge. So they come to me and I would be like, okay, we have this exercise where you're sitting next to the, a, a big, huge block or a flat wall. You have a dowel rod over your head. You've got two pit blocks underneath your knees. You've got your feet together and you're in like a butterfly, but your feet are together, not crisscross, feet are together. And your butt and everything is flat against the wall. And now you have to do these raises where everything touches the wall. So you have the, the stick over your head, the stick touching your head, your elbows are at 90 degrees, everything's flat against the wall. Nothing's allowed to leave the wall. Now, the lower part of your neck is not touching the wall, the back of your head is. And you just breathe in as you go up to use the rib cage to allow it to open. Breathe out at the top because it's really hard to keep your rib cage open and in thoracic extension when you're doing all this front forward work that everybody does. And you exhale at the top and then you come back down. And I say like a set of 10 to 14, something like that. And then I do crazy grips as well. I'll do like reverse grip, elbows in, reverse grip, elbows out. I'll do the eagle grip for the guys. And we're just working on different ways of mobilizing the shoulder. And it's it's not just thoracic extension. So I just gave you something that's actually not just isolated thoracic extension. I might also take them next to the wall and I have them like half kneeling and they have one foot out at 90 degrees of knee bend and hip and the other knee is directly underneath the hip and the knee that's out is next to the wall and I have them like uh, touching their hands uh, against the wall and then they're going to slide one hand up and they have to rotate their whole spine over at the wall so you're getting green thoracic extension and rotation and then they have to follow it back up and go that way so that might be my two little drills and then I take that and I'm going to go, okay, well, they need to get into this hollow, into this open arch. Then maybe I take them into a semi-bridge mm. on a wall. So the feet are elevated. The right. The feet are mm. elevated. And now I take the new thoracic range of motion that I just got them. And I start to use it in a like micro drill, but it's functional because it's, and then maybe I take them in. So I'd let them do it um, isometrically to find it. Then I take them physically into the 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 release for the the chips, right then you go do whatever decaccio drill you do on the tumble track or wherever mm-hmm. then you go to the decaccio i love using it <laughs> no i i love using little pieces like that you know nicole knows my favorite thing to do at camp is to sneak away from my event and just make little side stations for every single thing that i see as i walk around but the the best part about that as you were talking about like moving in and out of that bridge or I use a lot of those for even just the simple back extension roll, teaching that correctly because it is such a foundation of so many skills, especially on bars. Yeah. 
you know, the, the athlete's response to shoulder extension as they raise their arms over their head or to think about getting to that handstand is often to throw their head out. And it may have started because of a lack of this thoracic extension or other tightnesses or weaknesses that they couldn't lift their body up over their head. So they made other movement patterns to do it. But if you can put them in this tiny little piece and retrain singular movements and then put them back together, you can take away some of that extra head movement or whatever else is happening that they might not even realize is happening until you show them in that one little spot. Yeah. I feel like we could do an episode yeah, re, on re, every re, skill. Yes. Yeah, we, we could, if we could. But yeah, and that, that retraining that movement pattern with the head, it's like such so powerful and, and, and you don't have to, that's actually something like you don't even have to do, you can just do it with your basic drills you already know. You just have to mm -hmm. train what you want. You have to give them something to spot, you know, change the pattern. Yeah, yeah, but you can't change those patterns. People try to change those patterns at the end part later where they're like, and they don't go back to the part where they're supported. They're on the ground. They're doing a micro drill, the basic of the basic, right? If you go back there, it's easier to change the movement pattern. Yeah. If you think of freehab as technique and when they're really young and they're in your rec program and in, in the, you know, whatever you call your youngest team, and you're teaching these tiny little foundations, they have the mobility, the stability, the strength, they move in all three planes of movement forward, backward, side to side, twisting both to the right and to the left, no matter which side they use. Those are the foundations of movement. And now as you get further, you get to take those and work on shoulder stability, hip stability, that arch hollow exchange or pike arch when it's a Takacha, whatever it might be, because you have all those foundations, you just get to build on them and your prehab becomes your basics pretty much. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. That's what I call a movement menu, right? Like they have mm -hmm. to have, the, the, I call it the movement menu. They have to have, um, the larger the movement menu, the more you can pull from, the less injured they're going to be, the better athlete they are to work with, the more they can learn, the more versatile of an athlete you develop because now you're not stuck with only able to do Jaegers and, you know, like they can't, they can only do certain skill sets because somewhere in their foundation early on, someone said, we're training for a handstand. So we're only going to train here or we're training mm -hmm. for, you're a flipper and not a twister, make them a twister. Even if they don't, it's not their preference. Like they need to be twisting. They need to be rolling. They need to be the same mm -hmm. thing with the twisters. They need to be flipping. Like it's like, yeah. And Brandy, I think this came up in our webinar the other day, just the idea that it's very easy to pigeonhole kids into what skills suit their body type or their movement type. And I use this frenarial one all the time. Like it's very simple to go, Oh, you have, you're long and flexible. So you're a frenarial kid, you're short, shorter and stockier and musclier. So that's not going to work for you sometimes. And I have seen it happen with my own eyes. Those kids that don't fit the standard body type for a skill sometimes do it better just because of that. So I've had kids that are shorter and stockier and not what you would think do a front aerial, do these beautiful floaty ones because they're not flexible. So they have to fly and it creates a really cool movement. But the worst thing that will ever happen by exposing them to all these skills, whether they ever do them or not, is that it makes them more coordinated. And at the end of the day, yeah. that is what our sport is. It is a battle of the most coordinated. And then all these other pieces have to hold it into place. So there's like a whole lot of mindset and movement and brain stuff that happens when we pigeonhole mm -hmm. an athlete and we're really, we're limiting them significantly by doing it. 
Oh my gosh. I, that just reminded me, Shira, about this. <laughs> We've got this like soapbox that we stand on as far as when it comes to artistry, where where a coach will say, oh, she is not a good dancer. Or can you go fix her? She cannot perform. And we're like, because now you now you put it there. So now she's going to feel yeah. like, why am I going to bother? It's going to look ridiculous. I already am bad at it. So I love that you pointed that out. I know that you both have this ability. So I've I've seen it from Shira firsthand at our camps. I call it a superpower. I think it's a it's a PT thing, but she can observe a team just doing warm-up. 30 different kids mm -hmm. of different ages and body types and aid and abilities. And she can pretty much predict what common issues they all tend to have because every team has them. Because most of all, most people are following generalized the same pr training program. So coaches will be like, oh, all my kids' backs are hurting or all my kids, you know, are getting the the ankle thing or whatever. And it has to come down to, okay, because so what's the thing that you're missing from your program? So I'm going to ask you both this. In that situation that you've been in many times where you look at a group, you look at a team and you go, oh, yep, they probably all have shoulder issues. What would you say are maybe like the top three common things that you notice? Because this is going to help people go, okay, if I don't have the ability to bring in a PT right away to really analyze and screen my team, what am I most likely going to be wanting to focus on for prehab? My top two are, I, I go to the hip and I go to the shoulder. I'll put quotes around that because as we just said, it's so much thoracic extension around the shoulder, but the movement of the shoulder and the movement of the hips um, I mean, that is your base, your legs and your arms are attached there. So the way that you can move each of those is going to be huge. I always go to the hips first. To me, I feel like the pelvis is the center of everything. It's, it's where we can look to our core. It's where we can just have a base. And so many athletes have trouble with what's called like the anterior and posterior pelvic tilt. So the ability to move their pelvis, tuck it under like we want in a hollow and a flipping, creating rotation, and then sticking it out a little bit, not over-exaggerated, but enough to get the proper hinging to squat and land and absorb all of your landings. So that's really where I go first, because if you can't move into those two positions, you're going to have to compensate on those two major pieces. And the same kind of goes up to the shoulder, rib cage, thoracic area for shoulder extension. If you can't get extension laying on your back with gravity helping your arms push them down to the ground, if you can't make a straight line, you're not going to be able to make a straight line upside down, which is a handstand. And then all arching, all hollowing comes from that straight line. I love that answer, Shira. Yeah, <laughs> I would go maybe one more piece to that in that it's the connection between the rib cage and pelvis. So when I first start looking at athletes, um, and I think Shara kind of, she like went around it. So I think in her head, she'd already did it. But like, like um, it's that connection between the rib cage and pelvis, the ability to find spine neutral, the ability to go into what I call long arch or a long hollow. So it's segmental mobility. Like um, I notice a lot of athletes, they move like they have boxes on each other. Like the lower box moves on the upper box and all of a sudden you have a hinge point. And that's where you're screwed. Like if you have a hinge point anywhere or you have one point that looks like it's taking the load, you're, you're, you're in trouble because the body will do something to help absorb that stress, either break, tear, or build bone like Osgood Slaughter's or create cysts 
cysts at the wrist. It's just an abnormal loading response. And it usually starts, so if someone has a wrist or an ankle, I, I look right there first, the, the pelvis and rib cage. How do they associate together? Can they segmentally move their spine? Like Shira was talking about the anterior and posterior pelvic tilt. Rib cage, can they move the rib cage in all directions, which is my favorite. I look, it's so funny. I remember in dance, I didn't like when we had to do all the rib cage things because I couldn't do them. But now, now I can do them way better and I love them. <laughs> I have to tell you, about a decade ago, I worked with an elite national team member who's gorgeous, gorgeous movement. But we were trying to pull as much artistry as possible. And I had never seen this before um, because I hadn't worked at an athlete of that level in that capacity. And it, that's what it was. It was the rib cage couldn't move, so we couldn't elongate anywhere. And so when we criticize high-level gymnasts and go, oh, the artistry is lacking, the artistry is lacking, we also have to realize that it's not always an effort thing. They are are very, um, what is it, confined a bit rigid. by their own strength and rigid. And that's the part that at a certain point is kind of too late. And so, you know, how do we, how do we maintain strength but or build strength, but also maintain the ability to move and not get kind of locked in our own bodies? I think that's I think such an fight. important They are going to fight over this answer, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that's such an important piece though, because, you know, mm. we've taught them that this rigidity is good and it is, it, you know, we, it, if you have too much movement when you are in a round off or a back handspring or something, there's going to be like a leaking of energy mm -hmm. and you don't want that. And so I think a lot of times we teach that rigidity and that, that tightness and staying in the box. But I would argue that the more movement you have, the more you can control it rather than forcing it into a box. So having full ability to move in that, like, you know, the rib cage all the way in a circle, I do it a lot of times in that tabletop position after cat and cow, seeing if they can roll their rib cage all the way around in a, in a barrel, in a circle, then you can find middle. Then you have control to pull yourself into the middle and not leak any energy as you're tumbling or swinging bars or whatever it might be. Um, but you can still show artistry. And so if we don't teach the movement, we only teach the center. They don't have anywhere to go from center. Leaking energy. That makes so oh, much yeah. sense. That's perfect. I love the leaking energy. That's the best way to explain it when they are moving in place, they shouldn't be moving. But one aspect that I found, especially the higher level you go, they've been told to tighten, 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 tighten. And I love doing this thing where we push each other and I have people yell at them all the words that they say, tighten your butts, squeeze your this, tuck your tail, do all these things. And I just push them over with two fingers. But then when I give them a um, cue, hmm. like I'm gonna push you through that window behind you, all of a sudden they don't budge. And so it has to do with how our brain works. Hmm. And if you give the body, it's called tension to task. If I give the body a task, the brain and body will figure it out. Like that's why we all stand up and we don't fall over. I don't have to think about standing up, right? Now, the thing is, is that athletes, especially the higher level and the longer they've been told this to tighten, 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 tighten. What I found is part of their rigidity is that they never let go. Like they're walking around with their glutes all squeezed and their core pulled in and their diaphragm on. And so if you spend time doing breathing and mobility and just saying, hey, do you notice that you're squeezing your butt just standing here? And they're like, 
no. And I said, relax your bottom and just let go. Imagine that your butt is like butter on a hot plate. Let it melt, right? Like, And then they let go and they go, oh, I didn't even know I was tightening it. I go, I guarantee over the next week, I want you to notice how many times you tighten it, holding your cell phone, talking to your friends, sitting in school, at gymnastics. I'm not saying muscles shouldn't be able to tighten. Sure, they have to be able to tighten. But if I have a, a, a muscle and it's already in a shortened length and I'm tightening and I'm trying to tighten more, I lose, I lose power. You don't have the ability to do more. So the ability to let things go, lengthen, and then tighten is where mm -hmm. you get your power and momentum. And so half of it's just teaching them to let go and working mobility and breath work. They don't breathe. That's part of the reason they don't breathe because their diaphragm's already jacked all the way up to their eyeballs. They don't have anything else to breathe into. <laughs> Great visual, Brandy. Thank you. <laughs> all welcome. right, guys. I We could go on forever, so we'll probably have to do this again. But thank you guys so much for all of your insight, and thank you for all that you contribute to keep our athletes safe as possible and as pain-free as possible because it's helping them stay in the sport as long as possible. So thank you so much. And if there's anything you guys want to share before we get off here, I'm going to give you a second to share. Uh, also, listeners, I will have any links pertaining to these two wonderful ladies in the show notes. So um, Brandy, I'm going to let you go first. Um, well, if they want to know more about what I do with athletes, both online, virtually and in person, um, and my online courses that I have coming out, um, they can go to perfect10pt.com. So. If you want to know more about what I do with athletes in person and virtually, as well as my online courses that have been rolling out, which Nicole is coming in and fingers crossed she is thinking about some stuff. If you want to know more about that, you can go to perfect10pt.com. And if you want my free course right now, you can take it running a special just for you guys, perfect10ptacademy.com. Click there. You can take the free course and you can learn all about how this mind, body and performance and how, how we do things at Perfect 10. Wonderful. Thank you. And Shira. Yes. So we have some awesome clinics coming up with Precision. You can find all of that on precisionchoreo.com. Check out what we have going on. If nothing is in your area or you want us to come to your gym specifically, you can reach out to us there. We are doing all kinds of clinics, consulting, and really working on the artistry with our touch-ups that are both virtual and in-person throughout the season to get you ready for all your competitions and minimize those non-value part deductions. I forgot to mention, you guys already know this, Shira is our director of choreography for Precision. So she's uh, multi-talented and is uh, managing a lot with Precision. And we also have something very apropos to this episode is a workshop that we developed called Physical Therapy Infusion Workshop from Physical Prep to skill mastery. Yes, we will be breaking down all of these little details we talked about from back tumbling, front tumbling, leaps, jumps, turns. We can do work on vault, work on bars, whatever it is your gym needs specifically. We're going to start all the way from the foundations of this prehab and the prep for your body and then move into the, more of the technical side, how it really all connects. And one thing is the same as the other into all of these skills. All right, so you can see it on precisionchoreo.com under workshops. All right, you guys. Well, I can't wait to talk to you more because I feel like there's a million more things to talk about. So have a great day and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. See you later. 
And that's it for today. Shira and Brandy, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And I can't wait to have you guys back to dive deeper into this topic. I will see you all back here next week with a full episode. And thank you to you guys who have been emailing and reaching out over social media. I love the feedback, love the interaction. Please keep it up. You can email me directly at youthinkpod at gmail.com or you can find me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Nicole Langevin Consultant and on Twitter at youthinkpod. And don't forget to subscribe to youtube.com forward slash what makes you think podcast. And remember, there's a new playlist up there called Our Chenko, which is my new five episode limited series with Justin Spring presented by Inside Gymnastics. I really hope you guys are going to love it. All right, see you later. Bye.